1: I'm Laura Gregg and I'm joined with my co-host David Partain. Hello, David. Hello, Laura. On The Flexible Advisor, we seek to invite guests that will provide unique insights and actionable ideas for advisors that want to fine tune or grow their businesses all while deepening client relationships. And for our regular listeners, you know that we've talked a lot about diversity. We've talked about our research around building diverse advisory teams, whether diversity of a firm is a consideration by high net worth investors as they seek new advisors, where to find black and brown advisors, the wealth management experience for high net worth primary women, and other related topics. So I'm really excited about today's episode because we're going to be talking about something that I really don't think gets enough airtime as it should. When we talk about the lack of diversity in this industry, and we all know that as an industry, we've been talking about it for years. We so often hear from firms that they want a diverse team, but. Nobody diverse ever applies, whether that's by gender, race, or age. And, you know, my question is what are we doing to encourage or more likely to discourage diverse candidates from applying? In our advisor teams and diversity research that we conducted in late 2019, we learned that 61% of advisors, when they had an open position, went straight to their personal, social, or family networks to seek that candidate. So clearly that's not gonna be a strategy that leads to more diverse firms.
2: That is so true, Laura. And our survey also found that building diverse teams was often number eight in the list of top nine strategic business initiatives for many advisory firms. Today, we'll be talking with our friend and colleague, Abdur Namiri, PhD, about why he believes the industry must widen the space to improve minority recruitment and the steps advisor firms can take to get there. Abdur is the head of institutional multi-asset programs at Northern Trust Asset Management, And he is a senior member of the investment solutions team leading the institutional multi-asset programs with primary responsibility for the development and management of innovative multi-asset class bespoke portfolios for the institutional marketplace. Additionally, Abdur is a member of the Northern Trust Model Oversight Committee. That's a lot of work, Abdur. Well, until a few years ago, Abdur was a senior member of the FlexShares Investment Strategy Team, which is where I had the pleasure of working with him on a consistent basis. And he participated in the development of exchange-traded funds, ETF investment approaches, including factor-based strategies, multi-asset class tactics, real asset portfolio construction, and environmental, social, and governance, ESG, ETF product development and implementation. As if he isn't busy enough already, however, outside of his day job, Abdur sits on the advisory board of the YWCA Impact Investing ETF Board, the MMI Morningstar Sustainability Investing Initiative Academic Advisory Board, and the Northern Trust North American Diversity Council. Well, what I know about Abdur and what he did before joining Northern Trust, he was the Riley Professor of Physics at Colorado College, Abdur earned a bachelor's in chemistry from Iowa State University, a master's in financial mathematics from the University of Chicago, and a PhD in physical chemistry from the Ohio State University.
1: So, clearly, Abdur um, does not come with very many credentials, right? Um, But the, the thing is, when Abdur entered this industry, he was not trained in finance, and for that matter. Neither were David or myself. I was an English major and David, I think you were a communications major right. undergrad and you have your master's in leadership and management. But here we are, uh, at least for David and I decades later. Mm-hmm. And you know that's what we want to take a deep dive into during the next 30 minutes. How can we bring in diverse skill set, to this industry. So Abdur, thank you so much for joining us on the Flexible Advisor podcast.
3: Thank you very much. Uh, it's my pleasure to join you guys and I'll always um, great to work with you, Laura, and also um, sometimes with you, David, as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you, you know, Abdur, uh, the, it had been a long time since you and I had talked, but I, I saw that there was an article published by you, and uh, so I reached out. And I, I know you're as passionate about the subject as I am. And um, when we first had our conversation to discuss, discuss recording the podcast, we talked about all of the reasons why financial services is not a vocation and importantly, why understanding and accepting that should matter as firms look for new hires. So let's go straight there. There are so many new finance majors minted each year and a growing number of universities that are offering uh, certified financial planning programs, which is great. Um, but what do you say to those advisory firms that think that the requisite of joining this industry must have one of those two academic paths?
3: You know, that's a great question, Laura. And the way I, I tend to think about it is that the um, the industry has done a great job of trying to allow pathways of individuals with, a, I would say, uh, a mosaic of skill sets. And so if you think about a individual, a, an equity trader, or a, um, uh, a relationship manager, there's not an intrinsic skill set necessary there that you really learn in school. And so we are starting to see a lot of programs pop up. But due to the concentration of skill sets necessary, and just the volume of of resources or labor necessary in the financial services department, there are not enough departments to pop up to actually feed that entire thing. So you have to think in terms of what are the intrinsic skill sets necessary to be successful in such a diverse industry. And so the financial planning programs really focus on teaching you financial planning skills, skills of maybe trust accounting, skills of maybe financial planning with respect to estate planning as well. But in general, these skill sets are just vocational parts of the entire financial planning apparatus. And what I would say is that financial services in general is not a vocation like, say, an engineering degree, which is very vocational in the sense that you really can't build bridges unless you have a degree in civil engineering. Um, But I would contend that you can be an equity trader without a degree in finance or economics. And so, there's some of these intangible things that we see in other industries um, that I think really map over quite well to financial services. And so, as I mentioned in an article they wrote recently, is once you widen the aperture in defining skills, you find that your entire landing pad of available skill sets and available individuals widens up tremendously.
1: So, you know, that, that's so true. And, and over the years, and I've been in this industry now for more than 20 years, looked at a lot of bios of, of the portfolio managers of funds, ETFs and so on. And, and what I've noticed throughout the decades is that so many of them were previously uh, professionally trained engineers and uh, today they're managing money. So a uh, point is well taken. Uh, This industry has been talking about its lack of diversity since I joined more than two decades ago. And it seems, however, that after the killing of George Floyd in in late May that uh, precipitated global protests for racial and social justice, there was an inflection point uh, within this industry where it felt like something changed or was changing. Uh, Dora, I'd, I'd love to get your opinion. We're now almost six months uh, since that terrible event. Uh, do you believe that we're starting to see a sustainable movement uh, or do you think it's more that a, a more of a moment that, that may be passing?
3: I think there's a moment that it will ultimately become a movement. Um, I don't think we're there yet. I'll I'll be completely transparent. I don't think we're there yet. But I do think that there are a lot of leaders in financial services that are now really ready and willing to address this question directly. Um, And the question of recruitment, how do you access talent? How do you recruit talent? And what do you look for in talent? So I think that the, um, the George Floyd, incident. And it, it was tragic. It was tragic for the family. It was tragic for the community as well. Really underscored mainly almost like an insidious concern that a lot of populations have around inequity and access to opportunity. And so I think that that is something that has continued to fester, but now it has a has a light to it. And I think that that industry experts and industry Professionals, leaders, et cetera, are looking at this through a very different lens. And that's where it really comes when you think in terms of diversity, it's, it's being able to switch the lens in which you look at problems, is to look around a problem maybe in an elliptical fashion instead of in a linear fashion. Because all these nonlinearities, you know, the George Float issue was a nonlinearity. It was this thing that just happened and everyone was like, whoa, what happened here? You know, it wasn't a straightforward path to get us to where we are today, Uh, but it was a catalyst to get us to where we are today and looking at addressing these issues. And so I see it not as a, a moment, but more of a moment that is now transforming to a movement with action and a clear focus, and that is to really address systemic issues, highlight systemic issues, acknowledge systemic issues, and come up with a pathway forward. So I do think there was a that this is this is something that will become a movement and something that would be highly sustainable.
2: All right, Abdur, let's talk about the bottom line here. There are multiple studies that offer empirical data substantiating those benefits to businesses that results from having a diverse team versus a non-diverse team. So talk about what you're thinking around those studies and around what diverse teams and diversity of thought really means. I'll give you an example of that, David, because
3: I do believe the studies I've read read a lot of them and I do Mm -hmm. believe that they are, are definitely on point. Um, When I design teams for myself, if I have designed a team that I'm working with, I always need someone on the team that covers what I call my blind spots. And so for me, the gat the, the glass is always half full. I sort of need someone on my team that sort of the glass is almost half empty most of the time, more of a pragmatist. Because I typically see upside. The problem with seeing upside all the time is that you have a blind spot. And so what you find is that in lack in teams that lack diversity have all these blind spots that are not being corrected due to the groupthink. And so to find individuals that think different from you is very different because what I would, what I would contend is that it's not finding someone who disagrees with you. It's someone who really is trained different. It comes to the problem differently and where that becomes really, um, I'd like to emphasize that is that if you're classically trained the exact same way, even though you may disagree, your paradigm is exactly the same. Okay. And so that is not really diversity. Diversity from my perspective is having different ways in which people are an economist views the world very different than a market participant. Mm -hmm. And a lot is because they're trained very differently. And so that training, that differentiation in training, that differentiation in in experience and sort of worldviews and sort of, you know, those intangible things that go back to our question around skill sets, those intangible things create more diverse teams. And so you get a lot more co-mingling of ideas and perspectives and sort of, you know, as mature, someone sees something very linear, sometimes you need to look around the problem. And have more of an elliptical view around the problem, and so incorporating that, it's just to me intuitively why firms with more diverse teams tend to have strong performance.
2: Yeah, that's 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 great. I love how you're how you're making that connection there. So earlier, you and Laura discussed the reasons that you believe financial advisory is not a vocation, and we just address potential business bottom line benefits that can happen by having a diverse team in terms of people, cultures, thought. So how do we now, or how do advisors now connect those dots and really affect change? Is there a process or even a cultural audit, so to speak, that needs to take place in some firms?
3: Yeah, I think some is really the question around how do you source talent? Mm -hmm. And so the audit really comes into the point if I have, you know, 10 people in the chute applying for a applying for a position or a job. Am I really pushing my team to open up the application pool and really digging down to what skill sets are necessary to be successful? Not what vocations are necessary, but what skill sets are necessary. And also how I'm sourcing talent. What I would say, and I think Laura mentioned this earlier, is that you're seeing these financial planning programs pop up, okay? The difficulty with that is if I'm sourcing talent from there, I'm contracting my pool almost instantaneously. Because even though those programs are popping up, they typically dwarf the number of majors at most institutions. Mm. So if I'm only looking at those programs, then I've contracted my, my, my opportunity set. Also, what you find is that you will tend to skew towards people in those fields that either have family or relatives that may have backgrounds in those skill sets. And so it wouldn't make sense for someone whose parent is a financial planner to may go get a certificate in financial plan and then join the family business. It would just sort of intuitively make sense around that. And so if you start from that, from that basis, then you end up with a the same group of people trained the exact same way. And so I would argue that as you think about sourcing talent, you think about those 10 applicants you have, okay, try to also say, okay, I need 20 applicants and I need them from a diverse set of experiences because I'm really looking for the intrinsic skill set necessary to perform it, not the vocation. And I think that's what we have to separate out. Um, There are very few things within the financial services ecosystem that need vocational training. Um, And I think that's what we have to really, really focus on. Um, Because I think as Laura mentioned earlier, I find so many people in financial services that are history majors. Mm -hmm. To me, that implies vocation is not necessary. Uh, That to me implies a finance degree is not necessary. That means an economics degree is not necessary to be successful in this industry. And so I would argue that if you spread out that application pool, financial advisors will start to access extremely talented and driven people that I can train to do the other parts of the of the of the business.
1: So, Abdur, um, I, I do a lot of work with CFP program directors at universities. So I'm covering my basis here, and I'm I'm gonna make a, a jump and I would love your reaction. And and that's you're not necessarily saying not to hire somebody from a CFP program, but uh, look at that person as they relate to a much larger team. I mean, perhaps I have a a job opening for a junior financial advisor and also a sales assistant. Maybe the sales assistant we could pull from larger um, parts of, of the ecosystem, but maybe for that financial planner, that that pedigree and those that learning could also be helpful.
3: I would I would say something slightly different than that. Um, just to just to to add to that is that the what I would say is that the the CFP major itself okay allows for a almost a vocation of skills that you tick you tick off okay, that's necessary for to be a financial planner as you hit the ground running, okay? However, what I would say that if I'm looking for a financial planner, a junior financial planner, I would open up my selection pool to encompass the financial planning programs, but also some of the other technical programs that also have technical skills that could actually port into the job as well. And so I think that the historic way of thinking about it is that if I have a financial planning opening, I only go to financial planning programs. And so what we have found over, over, over time, if you had a opening for financial services, you'd go to economics programs and finance programs. The struggle you find with those programs, they tend to be extremely small. And they tend to be very non-diverse and so what you end up with almost like an income inequality question is that if I source my talent primarily from financial planning programs okay and they look and feel in a very similar fashion I tend to hire in in a very similar fashion and so if that ecosystem itself is lacking diversity I just replicate the lack of diversity And so my point is that, is the skill set intrinsic for a financial planner? Can that only be obtained in a financial planning program? Or does that give sort of a baseline of skill sets that I can actually get from, say, the chemistry major, from the physics major, from the engineering major, from the history majors, et cetera? Or is it truly so unique that I need someone specifically from that smaller program uh, my view is that you open the aperture for every role, for every role. That would be my thought. You open it for every role.
1: Great. Right. Thank you. And, you know, as, as I'm talking to advisors, um, you know, our, our client, our advisor clients that are all types and sizes, but particularly when I'm talking with the smaller firms, I so often heard here uh, time and time again, you know, uh, Laura, it's, it's hard enough, it uh, takes a lot of energy for us just to keep the lights on. You know, I don't really have the luxury that larger firms do to committing resources or manpower uh, to create diversity and inclusion programs uh, or to be thinking about um, new ways to source talent. And how how would you respond to that uh, very common objection about how small firms can truly move the needle? Um, what would you suggest for them to
3: think about? I, I would suggest for them to think about what is what is what is truly needed in the role. Um, and really just zoom out a bit and ask what is truly needed in the specific role. And once you zoom out, you'll find that if you were to write down what is needed in the role um, and don't presume any type of perception on who I would envision in the role, but what skill sets are needed. And you go out and you get those skill sets, but they have to be intrinsic skill sets. Um, and what I mean by that is that if I say, okay, I need these specific things, I need someone who writes well, I need someone who communicates well, I need someone who has good mental arithmetic, et cetera, you will have so many applicants for that role. Okay. But once you put start to layer in the the intangible things like I need someone client facing that'll face off well to my current client base. Okay. Then there may be bias that pops into what I perceive my client base is looking for in an individual. Okay. And so I think that once you pull that bias out of it and put prima facie of what skill sets are truly intrinsically necessary, you can widen out. So what I would suggest is that you think about the core skill sets necessary and you open it up to the point where you're now accessing a talent pool that is a lot more diverse and a lot more, you know, amenable to thinking about industries that they probably hadn't thought about because one thing we have, we have to realize in financial services, a lot of people financial services have parents that are in the financial services um, or relatives, et cetera. Okay. And so you have to go outside that natural network Um, And it does have to be almost a deliberate focus, because right now, the financial services is, you know, it's not very diverse to a large extent. And so you have to go out your natural networks to access. And I would say that, you know, talking to other people who, you know, may have other other access to more diverse talent than you may have. Uh, Looking at universities that have a diverse pool. Um, And also, I'm a big proponent of looking across majors, because I think that if you look across majors, what you'll find is that diversity will just percolate up naturally. You find that diversity just populates an entire university, no matter where you are, unless you go to extremely small schools. Um, But it does permeate populates, and So that's a way that you can access a larger pool of talent. Um, in really an organic way as well. So
1: I I loved one of your earlier suggestions about the the writing acumen because that's how I landed in this industry, um, quite by accident. But I could write and then I wrote about bonds and then it's led to a long-term, really wonderful career, but I never would have sought it out uh, on my own. And so... You know, another thing I wanted to get your insight on um, is that, you know, we're we're talking a lot about diversity in our, our, our industry overall, a lot about building diversity, equity, and inclusion programs within the large firms, which generally have those already, but even in the smaller advisory firms. And so as I'm speaking to students uh, and young people who are interviewing, uh, especially uh, those of a diverse nature, which is anybody but a white male student, they they say to me, they 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 feel um, like they shouldn't dive too deep into the interview process and in, in terms of asking about a firm's commitment to diversity. Um, so as an older person, um, I, I tried to relay to them that an interview is, is not one way. It's, it's a way for both parties to find a good cultural fit. Uh, but nonetheless, they, they seem to feel, that the more they go down the road, uh, the temperature of the interview changes. What advice would you give these young people about that process in, the, in trying to learn uh, more about the culture of diversity and the, the firms they're interviewing with?
3: I, mean, I would say that the um, courage is, is, is hard to come by. Um, and I think that this industry needs courageous people Um, And so I would say that it and there's always a barrier because, you you know, you sort of there's an apprehension about asking a question, but the question should be asked. Um, And I think that very strong applicants are asking the question. But I I think in, in general, you're being interviewed because you're a strong applicant. And so that to me gives me the agency to ask the questions because it is an interview on both sides. Um, and I think a lot of times what, you, what you'll find is that the non-diverse talent, in some cases, um, because of the lack of diversity, may feel as if somehow I'm lucky to get the actual interview. And so very hyper-concerned about sort of what they say or what they may not say. And so I think that there's courage in, diverse, in diversity. Um, And I would, I would say, ask the question. You have to ask the questions or you won't get the answer. I think it's very important to ask the questions that you need to ask to get to a place where you're comfortable with the organization. Um, Because I think at the end of the day, you're going to be spending time with that. The most precious asset we have is our time. And do you want to give your time to an organization at the end of the day where you don't feel comfortable asking certain questions. Um, and so that's what I would actually, but also I think that the, the culture of the organization will it permeates that as well. I mean, the their, their culture of organizations permeate how diverse they are and how they think about diversity. Because diversity is really not just a question, do I have you know, a sprinkling of, you know, do I have a mixed salad you know, diversity is really, does that salad really mix or are all my veggies separate from everything else, you know? And so if you have that mixing of the salad, you see it. I truly believe you see it when you see organizations that are doing the right thing um, and truly, truly live in diversity. A lot of times, you don't even have to ask the question, you just see it. But if you don't see it, then I think you ask the question because I think it's important to know upfront exactly what environment I'm getting myself into. And it may not deter your, your decision-making process, but I think that will, what will disturb is that as it stirs in you, I should have asked that question and I didn't. And so I think it's it's very important for candidates across the board to have the courage to ask those direct questions.
2: Well, that mentioned of salad. I'm all of a sudden hungry outdoor. That's a, uh... That's, that's very good. You know, a lot of people said when you and I were working together that it took courage to work with you. But I—I I, tell you, it's—it—it uh, it, it did not. You are a, a wonderful inspiration to me, frankly. And uh, I—I would say this to you at any time. I—I've uh, always appreciated. Uh, the diversity that you bring to our business. But we are coming up on time. And as we close out, can you give advisors one or two actionable takeaways that you want them to take away from our discussion today?
3: Yeah, I would say well, one thing I would say, find a way to prioritize diversity. Um, it is definitely a meaningful and a very impactful thing in your business. Um, I think it definitely will, will, we're seeing not just diverse populations, we're seeing diverse ways in which people are thinking about things. It brings in a different thought process into the problem. So I would say definitely start to really consider moving that mm-hmm. from eight further up. Uh, because they will become more and more important as things change just demographically, uh, but also how the business changes. And I would say the second thing is, as you think of your business, think of your business as part of a a larger ecosystem um, and the people that it serves. And the people that it serves also, this is a people business. And so the people that are part of your, your book of business they're in the community so they're seeing these things they're seeing these things publicly so if you're leading the discussion we talk about ESG a lot about environmental social governance so it is the S part that we're seeing a lot of attention to today the G part is pretty much assumed that there's good corporate governance the environmental side is pretty much you know there's a lot of legs behind that of running the environmental side the social piece we saw pop up during this most recent financial crisis, um, during the pandemic and that addressment around social, your clients are asking these questions and the sooner you can get on top of this, the more, the more reach your, your, the more reach your business can get. And now you're leading the discussion with your client because as they come to you, they come to you as an advisor, they want your advice. Um, but they already have formed views in their head of things that they're seeing on the social scheme. So if you can get in front of that, I think that allows you talking points and allows you to be able to drive the discussion and become a higher value asset for your, for your clientele.
2: That's great, Abdur. It is always a pleasure to catch up with you. And thanks again for joining us today. Thank you very
3: much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and and talk to Laura. Laura a little bit more than you, but it is always
2: a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Checks in the mail, Abdur. (laughs) All right. Well, if you would like to know more about the Northern Trust Asset Management Investment Solutions Team, you can go to the Northern Trust Investment Institute or ntamii.com. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor.
0: Thank you for listening to the Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foreside Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.